All right, uh, so we're, we're uh, just beginning our uh, introduction to Native Genesis, and we just want to get a, a broad, broad picture of the whole book, uh, so then the, the coming weeks uh, we can uh, go, go back to the start and just work our way through chapter, uh, chapter by chapter. Uh, and I was just uh, telling them that uh, when it comes to like, the, the book of Genesis, uh, you, you can't understand the end of the Bible uh, and the end of history, uh, what God has in, in store uh, and in purpose uh, for the very end, unless we first go, go back to the beginning and see where he began uh, with his purposes uh, in uh, creating the universe. Uh, and uh, Eric is uh, our uh, pastor is uh, right now, he just started teaching through the, the book of Revelation. Uh, and so that, that frames the, the whole Bible. Uh, and, uh, I'm just encouraged and excited that uh, that we're looking at both the beginning and the end. Uh, and uh, Eric has said that uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, so many times uh, John uh, refers and references to Scripture. It's, it's one of the most uh, biblically saturated books where he's going back to the prophets, uh, and he frequently goes back to the book of Genesis. Uh, so for, for Eric uh, to rightly interpret the book of Revelation, uh, he has to go back to the beginning. Uh, but with us, starting at the beginning, uh, we'll actually find that uh, with the beginning of creation, God's purposes in history, uh, Moses uh, and God are going to point us uh, to the end of history uh, all the way from, from the beginning. I hope to, to show that uh, tonight. Uh, and even if, if all we had uh, was the, uh, the Torah, uh, those are the five books of Moses, Genesis, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, even if we only had the Torah, uh, really the, the message of the Torah and the message of Genesis uh, is pointing us to God's uh, purpose and commitment to bless his fallen creation uh, to, um, to bring about his kingdom uh, with his uh, king. Uh, and th that, that's the, the primary big picture message uh, of the, the Torah from the, from the very beginning, from the, the time of Moses. Uh, and so we'll begin with uh, our introduction tonight, uh, looking at uh, the, the author, uh, looking at... Uh, uh, the the audience who who are the first people to uh, that this book was written for, uh, and also the uh, the structure, the big picture of the book, uh, which uh, we can see in the major sections of Genesis on our outlines, and then we'll we'll look at the uh, the primary themes of the book of Genesis, and that that'll help tie it all together. And so starting with the the author. Uh, is uh, Moses. And I just want to cover a little bit about Moses and then uh, show why he is the author of Genesis, although the book of Genesis doesn't have a name uh, attached to it, uh, but we, we infer that from the rest of Scripture. And so uh, Moses was from the, the tribe of Levi uh, in the, the clan of uh, Kohath. Uh, the Levites were important because they uh, served in the, the tabernacle, uh, which 
Uh, that's where they served and worshiped God uh, and offered sacrifices before the, the temple was erected in the time of Solomon. Uh, and his, his father was Amram, his mother is Jochebed, uh, Aaron his brother, and Miriam his sister. Uh, and Aaron's important because uh, he and his sons uh, were, not only were they Levites, the Levites helped serve in the tabernacle, uh, but uh, Aaron and his sons were uh, God's priests. They were the ones who offered sacrifices on the altar and uh, offered uh, incense before, uh, before God. And so we, we can read about uh, Moses' background in Exodus uh, chapters 2 through 4. Uh, in the first three months of his life after he was born, uh, he, uh, after, he lived with his uh, biological family for just uh, th three months and with his mother Jochebed, his father Amram. Uh, but uh, because the, the pharaoh of that time uh, saw the, the Israelites as a threat and wanted to uh, to destroy and kill all the all the males, all the the firstborn, uh, he sought to kill Moses, uh, and so his mother put him uh, in a basket uh, and trusted God and put him in the Nile. And actually, the the word for the basket, same word for the the ark. Uh, Noah went through the flood in the ark to safety. It was preserved by God. Uh, and same for uh, same for Moses. Uh, and so. Uh, then he, he uh, was picked up by Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And so for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he was raised as a, uh, as a prince. Uh, he was raised uh, as the adopted son of uh, Pharaoh's daughter and so would have been uh, educated uh, as an Egyptian prince. Uh, and then uh, after those 40, his first 40 years, when he was 40 years old, uh, he saw... Uh, an Israelite uh, being uh, beaten severely by a, an Egyptian taskmaster. Uh, and so he went to help him out uh, and ended up killing the Egyptian. Uh, and then he, uh, out of fear, he fled for his life to Midian, which is uh, east of Egypt uh, and across uh, uh, the Sinai, uh, where they uh, later the, the wilderness wanderers wandered through there. And then he spent 40 years living in Midian and uh, got married. And that's when, uh, at the end of that time, another 40 years, now he's 80 years old, uh, already an old man. Uh, that's when uh, the angel of Yahweh, uh, who is himself God, appeared to him in the, the burning bush uh, and commissioned him uh, as his uh, prophet, uh, his authoritative spokesman, uh, and mediator, uh, and he, he was going to use Moses to bring the, the Israelite people uh, out of Egypt uh, into uh, plague Pharaoh uh, and bring them out with many possessions uh, uh, as God had promised to Abraham uh, over 400 years before that. And so then he uh, brought them uh, out of Egypt uh, to uh, Sinai, uh, and they stayed there for uh, one year where they, they made a covenant with God uh, as his, uh, he, they're no longer the servants of Pharaoh, but became the servants of God, uh, where they were to become a, a holy nation uh, and a blessing for, uh, for all the people on the earth. And ultimately, uh, Messiah, Jesus, uh, was, was to come through them. Uh, and so you can read about Exodus 19 uh, through the, the end of Exodus, 
uh, and all the way through Leviticus, first chapters of Numbers, uh, they spent a year uh, in Egypt. And that all of that is, covers just one year. And then from that time, they, uh, they left uh, to go up to the, the promised land of, of Canaan, uh, which would later become Israel. Uh, but because they, they wouldn't obey God uh, and they didn't believe that God would uh, give it into their hands, uh, they refused to enter. Uh, and because of that, God judged them. And their judgment was to wander around uh, in the wilderness of Sinai, in the wasteland desert, uh, until the whole first generation uh, died off. Uh, and it was the second generation, uh, and only, uh, only Joshua and Caleb uh, were the ones from the first generation who would then enter, enter the land. And so the, the whole book of Numbers is about this transition from, uh, from the, the first to the second generation, and that's the one that's going to uh, to inherit the land. And that's very important for understanding Genesis because, uh, as we're going to see, that's the audience for whom Moses was, was writing, those who were preparing to go in. Uh, and so then at uh, the, the end of Deuteronomy uh, 34, the, the whole book of Deuteronomy uh, takes place. Uh, it's now 40 years after Sinai, the wilderness. He's 120 years old, and uh, he... He dies outside the land because uh, even Moses uh, didn't fully obey God. And uh, there was one time where he uh, got angry and uh, when God told him to strike the rock, he struck it twice. Uh, and under the Sinai covenant, uh, God didn't allow, uh, he allowed Moses to see the land but not to enter. And now I, I want to look at just uh, Moses as God's uh, authoritative spokesman, uh, which is, very important for, for approaching the text and to know about uh, who wrote this uh, and why we, we need to, to listen up. And just an example of this, uh, with uh, one time Miriam and Aaron, uh, Moses' uh, sister and brother, uh, they, uh, th they rebelled against Moses and God. Uh, and they, they said, uh, this is in Numbers 12, uh, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Uh, and it's very important uh, what God uh, says to Aaron and Miriam after he summons them. Uh, and this is what he, he says about Moses as his authoritative spokesman. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. In a vision, I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Uh, and so we see here, there were other prophets. God did speak uh, to prophets such as Miriam and Aaron, uh, but not in the way that he spoke to Moses. Uh, Moses was uh, completely unique uh, in his uh, personal relationship with God uh, and God, how God manifested uh, him, uh, himself to Moses, uh, even in uh, a visible form to, to represent his, uh, his presence and his his glory with, with Moses. 
Uh, and after this, uh, Miriam was struck with a, a terrible leprosy uh, where her skin was as, as dead. Uh, and even after Moses interceded for her, uh, God uh, still, uh, she had to go outside the camp seven days and remained with her leprosy. And only after then, uh, God uh, relented. Uh, and also in number 16, uh, there's a man, another man from the tribe of Levi, Korah, uh, but he wasn't uh, Aaron uh, or one of his sons. So he was a Levite. He, he had the privilege of working in God's tabernacle uh, and serving God, uh, but uh, he wasn't able, he wasn't a priest. He couldn't offer sacrifices as Aaron and his sons. Uh, and he rebelled uh, against Moses uh, and God showed that Moses was his authoritative spokesman uh, to, to reject Moses was to reject uh, God. Uh, and so God uh, opened up the, the earth uh, and it swallowed up Korah uh, and uh, some of the, the men and the people who rebelled with him along with their uh, families, which showed just how, how seriously uh, God uh, took uh, the prophet Moses. To, to rebel against Moses was to rebel against God. And then there, there's one, uh, one more statement. At the, the end of Deuteronomy, uh, after Moses has uh, seen the land, but he's, he's died and been, been buried, uh, there, there's a statement uh, about, uh, about the, the character uh, and the, the uniqueness of Moses as a prophet. In Deuteronomy 34, uh, starting in verse 10, it says, And not again has a prophet arisen in Israel like Moses whom Yahweh knew face to face. As far as all the signs and the wonders Yahweh sent him to do in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all of his servants and against all of his land, uh, and as far as all the mighty deeds and as far as the great awesome wonders Moses did before the eyes of all Israel. Now it says, And not again has a prophet arisen in Israel like Moses. And there's discussion about when was this written? Uh, some, some people say uh, that uh, Moses maybe wrote this before his death. Uh, other traditions say, well, maybe it was Joshua who wrote this uh, after the time of Moses. Uh, and there, there are some scholars who actually think that uh, as the whole Old Testament was being brought together and all the books were written, uh, that there was maybe a, a prophet scribe uh, who, uh, who wrote this. And we're, we're not quite sure, but it doesn't say that uh, another prophet hasn't arisen. There are other prophets, but another prophet like Moses. Moses was absolutely unique uh, as, God's, uh, as God's spokesman uh, and how, how he knew God face to face. And actually, whoever wrote this is alluding to something else in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 18, maybe this will sound familiar, uh, Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 18, uh, the Lord says, I will raise up for them a prophet, and says for the Israelites, a prophet like you from among their brothers, so like Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require, require it of him. Uh, in, in the New Testament, we find people asking, is, is this the prophet? 
uh, talking about Jesus. Uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, what does the Father say from heaven? This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Uh, he's the prophet. This isn't just talking about any old prophet, but ultimately uh, it's pointing to the coming Messiah who is the prophet. And so that, that's alluded to at the end of uh, Deuteronomy uh, thir 34, which shows, uh, and not again has a prophet arisen like Moses, but they're, they're expecting one. Uh, they're expecting the, the Christ to come. And so now uh, we've learned a little bit about uh, Moses. Uh, now I want to look at the, just the, the date uh, when it was written uh, and just uh, argue that, yes, indeed, uh, Moses wrote Genesis and wrote the, the, the Pentateuch, the, the first, first five books, the five books of Moses. Uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so... Uh, First, I'll just go through some of these uh, things. You, you don't need to, to memorize this or, or write it down. Uh, and if you want it, I, I can send the, the information to you. Uh, just ask me. But uh, there are materials listed uh, as you read through uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy. There are all these materials mentioned that uh, God uh, either commanded Moses to write or it said that Moses wrote, wrote down. Uh, and a lot of them were written uh, during the time where they're at Sinai, uh, the, the one-year period. And so that would be from 1446 to 1445 uh, B.C. Uh, he wrote things like uh, his, he was commanded to write a memorial that Yahweh will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven, uh, Exodus 17, 14. Uh, and now we find in the, the book of Exodus. But at that time, the, there wasn't a book of Exodus. Uh, he, he was also commanded to write uh, the book of the covenant. Uh, when they were at Mount Sinai, uh, where God spoke to them, uh, and there was uh, fire uh, and cloud uh, and light uh, and earthquake, and God actually spoke to the people, Moses wrote down the book of the covenant, which is uh, Exodus uh, chapters 20 through 23. Uh, he also wrote down the, the Ten Commandments, um, and Moses also uh, commands people to, uh, to write the, the records of the tabernacle in Exodus 38.21, uh, which was just a list of all the uh, supplies and stuff that people uh, brought for, for the tabernacle and uh, that the craftsmen um, made uh, to make it, uh, make it uh, beautiful and uh, with high skill. And also uh, in Numbers 1-2, uh, in fact, it takes up the, the first 10 chapters of Numbers. Uh, right at the time they're leaving uh, Sinai after their one year, uh, he commanded them to take a census uh, of the first generation that ended up being uh, laid waste uh, in the wilderness over 40 years. Uh, and then probably at the same time, probably wrote similar documents related to the covenant, uh, like Leviticus and uh, other, other documents. Uh, and so we, we find that just after the, the first year after God commissioned him, uh, Exodus 12 through 40, Leviticus, uh, Numbers 1 through 10, uh, a lot of those materials were already written down and collected that would eventually become those books. Uh, and then during their 40 years in the wilderness and uh, just prior to, to entering the, 
of the Promised Land, so 1446 to 1406 BC, uh, he, he was commanded to write, uh, let's say, uh, if, after they went out from Egypt, so 1446 BC, uh, Moses wrote uh, there, uh, there's the Israelites starting places stage by stage by the command of the Lord. Uh, from Ramses, uh, which is mentioned in Exodus uh, 12, to uh, Abel Shittim in the plains of Moab, uh, which is mentioned in Numbers 25.1. And so th this is a huge part from Exodus uh, all the way uh, toward the end of Numbers uh, that Moses wrote down at that time. Uh, there's a book, uh, probably a book of poetry, called The Book of the Wars of Yahweh, mentioned in uh, Numbers 21. Uh, and uh, one scholar, D.F. Payne, uh, says that the work was evidently a collection of popular songs commemorating the early battles of the Israelites. Uh, and so when they're in the wilderness and uh, fighting the kings leading up to the, the conquest, uh, th these are things that they probably collected and maybe even Joshua added to this, uh, to this book. Uh, and then toward the end of Numbers, uh, there, he was commanded to take a, a second census in Numbers 26.2 of the second generation. Uh, and then at the Deuteronomy 31, it mentions the book of the law of Moses, which uh, may have either been pretty much, well, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, or maybe even the, the whole five books of, of Moses. Uh, and then the Song of Moses is mentioned in the same chapter. And so the reason I'm telling you this is that we even see in here that Moses was writing and collecting these materials over time uh, that take so much uh, of the uh, at least four uh, of the five books uh, that there's already uh, collected. Uh, and so he, he collected these things and uh, compiled them, brought them together, uh, and this eventually became the, the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the five books of Moses. Uh, and then uh, just some, some more evidence that Moses wrote Genesis and the, the Pentateuch. Um, uh, first off, we, we, we see uh, them mentioned, like the, the Torah mentioned just throughout the Old Testament and throughout the, uh, the New Testament. Uh, and even if you think about uh, just everything in the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, really depends uh, on the book of Genesis uh, and is understood uh, in light of it. Uh, Genesis had to be written for everything else to come. Uh, just uh, for example, here's a, here's a laundry list of themes that are covered throughout the Bible that you, you basically need to know Genesis, uh, otherwise you couldn't uh, have discussions of them. Uh, themes of God, creation, the Sabbath, blessing, cursing, the flood, the nations, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, the exodus, the plagues, the covenants, uh, circumcision, Israel's place among the nations, uh, the, the land of Canaan, uh, the inhabitants of the land, uh, and the, the conquest. Uh, all of these things, uh, you can't understand them. They're, they're referenced throughout the Bible, and you, you need the book of Genesis. That's, that's where they all begin uh, and just for, for another example, uh, God destroys uh, Sodom and Gomorrah in G Genesis 19. Uh, well, here are some books in which uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and their sister cities, uh, Adma and Zeboim, uh, where they're, they're mentioned uh, besides Genesis 19. Uh, Deuteronomy, Judges, 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Amos, Zephaniah, uh, and, and Hosea. And so you, you have this wide swath of, uh, of things that are written in the Old Testament over a long period of time, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and they're, they're, all, uh, they're all well aware of Sodom and Gomorrah. And well, where do you find the account of that? Genesis. Uh, and then uh, also in the, the New Testament, uh, Jesus, uh, the Jewish people, uh, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, everyone agrees uh, that Moses wrote the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, uh, the five books. Uh, and the thing about that, the, the Sadducees, uh, they be kind of like the, the liberals of our day, uh, where they actually rejected uh, most of the Bible at that time, what we call the Old Testament today. Uh, they only accepted the, the five, five books of Moses. Uh, they denied like the existence of angels. They denied the resurrection uh, from the dead. Uh, but e even they agreed that Moses wrote, uh, wrote the Pentateuch. Uh, everyone was agreed on that is unanimous. Uh, and then the, the New Testament authors uh, indicate that, that Moses wrote it. They, they refer to the, uh, the Tanakh, uh, which is the, uh, you can call it either the law or Moses. It's interchangeable. Uh, Moses, the prophets, and the writings. And that's, that's what we know as the Old Testament today. Uh, and they, they quote from it so extensively. Uh, and then uh, just an example from, from Jesus, uh, Luke 20, verse 37. Uh, he says, and th this is from Exodus 3, verse 6. Uh, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush, where he called the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And so here we, we have an early part uh, of, of Exodus 6, uh, but the, the book of Exodus pick, picks up right where Genesis leaves off. Uh, just uh, l listen to this. Uh, it's the very end of Genesis 50. Uh, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now the first chapter of Exodus. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came uh, to Egypt with Jacob, uh, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. And so it picks up right where Genesis uh, left off, and so it's very clear that the, the, the book of Genesis was in place for, for Exodus, and it's the same for uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, and then uh, ultimately, although Moses is the, the author uh, of the book of Genesis, of the Pentateuch, uh, ultimately these are God's words. 
Uh, it was God uh, who repeatedly told Moses to write things down. Uh, it even says it places that God wrote things down. He wrote the Ten Commandments. Uh, and Moses often wrote God's very words. Uh, and then uh, toward the end of Deuteronomy, uh, what did they do uh, with these, these books that Moses gave them? Well, they put it uh, in the tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant, and it was to be read to the people, uh, in, uh, to be copied uh, by, by a king when they got a king, and read by him. Uh, these were covenantal documents, uh, as uh, scholars like um, oh, uh, Michael, Michael Kruger, uh, Meredith Klein have said. These were covenantal documents, uh, and they were read with complete authority. And so, yes, Moses is the human author. God uses human authors, but God is the, the ultimate author. And just a, a final illustration of that, uh, there's another passage. We re read one by Jesus uh, referring to the burning bush and uh, attributing it to uh, Moses. Well, there's a parallel passage in uh, Matthew 22, verse 29 uh, through 33, uh, where he says this, uh, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, uh, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Uh, now listen up. Uh, and as for the re resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? Uh, and so th this was originally written uh, to uh to the people who are about to enter the land in the time of Moses, uh, and this is uh, an apologist, uh, James White, one of his favorite passages, um, where, think about this. Have you not read, he's talking to the Sadducees, have you not read what God said to you? Uh, the scriptures are God speaking to you, Sadducees. Not just to them, but he is speaking to you. And he's He's speaking to, to all of us uh, and to you and to you and you and you and you. Uh, he's, he's speaking to all of us right now uh, in his, his word. And so that's important to keep in mind as we begin our study of the, the book of Genesis. Yes, Moses wrote this, but uh, these are God's words and we, we better, better listen up to God's authoritative spokesman. And so now uh, we talked about the, the author Moses. Uh, now just briefly, I want to... Uh, just talk about the, the audience and the, the historical context uh, to whom Moses was uh, writing. Uh, as we've said already, it was the, the descendants of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, these were the Israelite people that God was uh, making into a nation to uh, not only to bless them, but ultimately to, to bless the, the whole world. Uh, they, they were to become a, a kingdom with a, a, a king. Uh, but uh, it's not the, the first generation who died in the wilderness, but the second generation who were uh, preparing to enter. Uh, and allow me to read an a, a extensive quote by Eugene Merrill uh, just about the, the occasion and the, the purpose for which Moses was writing the, the Torah in uh, Genesis. He says, The inner testimony of the Old Testament, as well as ancient tradition, regarding its authorship and composition, locate its origins as a literary work at the plains of Moab on the east side of the Jordan River. 
Uh, and so the east of the Jordan River, looking west to the setting of the sun, uh, where they'd see the, the, uh, the hill country, the, the hills of Israel, and they're looking over the river uh, to Israel. Uh, well, it was Canaan at, at the time, but late, later Israel. Uh, the occasion was the impending death of Moses and his desire uh, before this transpired to inform Israel and the generations to come of who the Israelites were, uh, whence, from where they had come, uh, and what God had in store for them as a people chosen by God from among uh, all the nations. Uh, and then uh, later on another page he goes on, uh, is it is outside the immediate interest of the study to deal with the theological implications of the so-called Mosaic or Sinaitic covenant. So that's the covenant that God made with the people at uh, Mount, uh, Mount Sinai. Uh, suffice it to say that by this instrument of the covenant, Yahweh confirmed his work of redeeming his, his vassal people, uh, his servants, his servant people, from the overlordship of Egypt by making them his own servants. Uh, quote, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, uh, end quote. That's from Exodus 19. Their role thenceforth would be to mediate or intercede as priests between the holy God and the wayward nations of the world, uh, with the end in view not only of declaring his salvation, but also of providing the human channel in and through whom this salvation would be affected. Uh, so they were to be a people that were to... Uh, to make God known to all the nations and the peoples of the world, and ultimately the Messiah would come from them, and they'd be an everlasting kingdom and bring blessing uh, to the sin-cursed, uh, fallen world uh, full of uh, rebel sinners uh, and evil. Now we're, we're going to talk about the structure uh, of Genesis. And this part might be a little tricky, uh, but we'll try and uh, flesh it out when we, we start to look at the, the main purpose and themes of the book of Genesis. And uh, our, our sheets with the major sections are very important at the top for, for this. Uh, and so first, uh, what is structure? Uh, well, uh, John Salehammer, uh, in his book, The Meaning of the Pentateuch, says structure is a total set of relationships within a narrative, uh, a story, uh, is an expression of the relationship of the parts to the whole and the parts to each other. So a structure is a, a, a whole something that has parts in it uh, that, that form the whole. So, for instance, a, a house... Uh, is a, a, a single whole, a large, uh, distinguishable uh, structure, but it has uh, many parts. Uh, a house has a foundation. It has uh, floors and ceilings uh, and uh, walls. Uh, it's built of uh, boards and wood and sheetrock and insulation. Uh, it has other parts such as uh, cabinets and uh, countertops and uh, bathrooms and kitchens and bedrooms, but all of these parts work together to form a whole where a family lives and functions, and they, uh, that forms a, a whole house. 
and we call it a house, even though it has, has many internal parts. Well, a, a story uh, or a discourse like Genesis uh, is also, it's, it's a whole, uh, but it has many, many parts. Uh, and so it has uh, a beginning, it has uh, an ending, uh, it also has uh, a middle section, uh, there's uh, dialogue, conversation, uh, there, there are events where things happen. Uh, and then just like in a chapter book, uh, they're broken up by chapters, where in a chapter uh, may, maybe a problem's raised and something's solved, but not everything's solved because the book keeps going on until you get to the end. Uh, and so uh, a book like Genesis, uh, it has structure. It's a whole with many parts. Uh, and just to show why, why this is important uh, and why um, we're also talking about not just the, the whole and the parts, uh, but uh, context. Uh, when you read something, you have to read what comes before it and what comes after it. Otherwise, uh, you're, you're probably not going to interpret it quite rightly. And so from Genesis 12, 6, just as an example, and pretend you don't know the book of Genesis. And I'll, I'll just read this to you. Uh, pretend you don't know the book of Genesis. You don't know what comes before. You don't know what comes after. And we'll just single out a word. Land. It's not telling us a whole lot. That could really be about, I mean, there are many types of land uh, in the world. There, there are many places where, the, where there's land. There are many lands uh, throughout history. Uh, that, that really doesn't tell us a whole lot. Uh, let's let's uh, get a little more context. We'll, we'll read a little bit of what, what comes before that. Now, there was a famine in the land. Okay, that, that tells us a, a little bit more, uh, but... There have been many famines in, in history. I mean, there, there could be a famine at uh, almost any given year or decade throughout all of history. There have been a lot of fictional stories about uh, famines. And so it's not telling us too much more. All right, uh, we'll add a little bit of what comes after it. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. The end. I just love happy endings, uh, don't, don't you? Uh, the, the, so there's this man named Abram, uh, and there's this famine, and he went to Egypt and got away from the famine, and that's, that's it, I guess. Uh, but if, if we think about uh, what comes before in the book of Genesis, uh, God created everything very good from the beginning, uh, but then uh, when man rebelled, it introduced uh, sin the curse uh, and evil and violence in the world. Uh, and God, uh, through the, the offspring of the woman, Eve, uh, he is bringing, uh, through the chosen line, he is bringing blessing back to his creation. He's overcoming evil and restoring blessing to the creation. Uh, in, in that line of descent, uh, it eventually arrives at Abraham in chapter 12. And he has just told Abraham that, or, or Abram at this point, uh, that uh, he will bless him, uh, that he is going to uh, bless him with offspring. He is going to make him into a nation. Through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed uh, and that he will give this land to his offspring. And he's called Abram out of his land, the land of, of Ur, uh, and then Haran down to the land of 
Canaan, the, the promised land, and now arriving there, there's a famine in the land. And that raises questions about uh, if this is the promised land that God is going to give to Abram, uh, there's a famine there. It seems it can't even support Abram. Uh, but not only that, this sets up uh, Abram goes to Egypt uh, and he when he's there, he's afraid that the, the men will uh, take his beautiful wife and kill him, uh, uh, Sarai. And so he lies and says, she's my sister. She's not my wife. And so Pharaoh takes Sarai for, uh, for his wife. Uh, but what's the problem with this? It's through Abram's offspring that God is going to form this uh, this kingdom and he's going to bring restore blessing to his fallen creation and if Sarai becomes uh, the if he, she becomes the wife of Pharaoh then then God's promises are ruined they will come to nothing and so God must intervene uh, and he must put an end to this and so he plagues Pharaoh and unlike the Pharaoh who comes uh, later with the Israelites this Pharaoh uh, relents. He scolds Abram for lying like he did, and he gives him back his wife and sends him on, on his way. And so we see there's a lot more going on here. Uh, we need to know the context. We need to know what comes before and what comes after. We need to know the structure, the, the whole, and how the parts fit into the, the whole. Otherwise, we're going to, to miss the, the significance of Moses' point. Uh, and so now, uh, we'll look at the, the Toledot uh, generations uh, formula, uh, where it says that the generations of so-and-so or such-and-such, uh, as we see in the, the major sections uh, of the book of Genesis. Uh, in each of these uh, time, times it occurs, it occurs uh, 11 times. Uh, the only exception is the, the first section, Genesis 1-1 uh, one, one through uh, 2 verse 3 uh, that's not a, not a generation section uh, the, the first one occurs in Genesis 2 4 and each time it occurs it introduces uh, a new section uh, and so th the 11 times it occurs it divides the book of Genesis up into uh, 12 uh, different sections uh, and each of them uh, it, it points forward uh, to what uh, follows uh, in the account. Uh, and it, it turns the focus onto uh, the, the offspring uh, or the, the seed, the descendants, the, the progeny uh, of an important forefather. Uh, so, for, for example, we, uh, or you, you could say also an entity, or as another uh, scholar, Matthew says, a, a motif in the, the case of the, the heavens and the earth. Uh, because there wasn't a forefather yet, but God had just created. Now we're going to see the offspring that comes from creation, uh, what he calls the, the first family. And uh, Adam, of course, uh, didn't have a forefather, but he was taken from the, the dust of the, the ground, the dust of the earth. Uh, and Adam uh, comes from Adama, uh, land, earth. Uh, and so each of these... Uh, turns attention to the, the offspring of the important forefather and points forward uh, to, to what follows. Uh, and it doesn't mean that the forefather uh, might not have an important place uh, in these sections. Uh, for instance, uh, 
uh, where it says these are the generations of Noah. Uh, Noah is very important in that section. He's, he's very central, but still concerned about what happens with his offspring and how Shem, Ham, and Japheth are preserved uh, to repopulate uh, the, the earth. Uh, and then each section, it's a combination of uh, genealogy and uh, narrative, or that's another word for story. Uh, and so genealogy, kind of like a family tree, or following the, the line of descent. Uh, and then uh, also uh, telling the, the story along the way. Uh, and we, we see like uh, Shem, uh, Ishmael, uh, and Esau, uh, where it's almost totally just uh, kind of their family tree, their line of descent. And there's, there's not a whole lot of story there. Uh, but with like Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, their sections are uh, almost uh, all story. And it only goes from one generation to the next for the most part. And then for, for Jacob, his sons and their, some of their, uh, their offspring. And it's really the, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that takes up the, the vast bulk of the book of Genesis. They are very important. Uh, because uh, they connect, uh, they connect the history of Israel uh, back uh, back to uh, creation, uh, as uh, scholars like Matthews and Salehammer uh, point out. Uh, and then I, I want to connect this uh, to um, to to the primary theme uh, of Genesis. I, I want to put some. Uh, flesh and blood uh, on this skeleton we have, this, this outline of all these independent sections. And so uh, one time in a class on Genesis, uh, I had a, a professor who gave us a couple quotes, I, I think by uh, Alan P. Ross, and uh, I think it was Bill T. Arnold. Uh, and for the essay, he wanted us to summarize uh, what's the theme that, that captures all of the book of Genesis and th this is what I came up with, but with uh, uh, some modifications after I've uh, studied the book more. And so I'd summarize it this way. God sovereignly and graciously overcomes both sin and evil and restores blessing to his creation through the chosen seed of the woman. I'll, I'll repeat it. God sovereignly and graciously overcomes both sin and evil and restores blessing to his creation through the chosen seed of the woman. And so first, uh, we see that God does this through the, the chosen offspring uh, or seed uh, of the woman, Eve, uh, Adam's, Adam's wife. Uh, in, in Genesis 3, verse 15, uh, Sometimes this is called the, the seed promise, uh, but really, first off, it's, it's a curse against the, the serpent, the, the deceiver. And God says, uh, I will put, I'm reading from the ESV, I will put enmity between you, that's the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, probably a better uh, translation would be strike. It's the same verb in each case. Uh, so between your offspring 
and her offspring, he, that is her offspring, will uh, strike you on the head and you will strike him on the heel. It doesn't say that her offspring will strike your offspring, but her offspring will strike you, serpent. Uh, and so here we basically see that it, it opens a conflict uh, between her chosen line, uh, her chosen descendants, uh, and between the, the deceiver uh, who deceived and uh, helped to bring about the fall. And here there's, there's maybe a, a glimmer of hope uh, that one day uh, the, the serpent, the deceiver, uh, will be destroyed and will be struck on the head. Uh, and so it's, it's through her chosen offspring. Uh, and this is also seen uh, in that the, the whole book of uh, Genesis, it's interested in genealogies. In fact, as we've seen, the whole, uh, the whole structure, each section uh, is pretty much introduced uh, by a, a type of genealogy. It's turning the focus uh, from the offspring of one foref important forefather to the next one. Uh, uh, and then the, the book follows uh, the, the chosen uh, offspring, uh, not everyone, but the chosen offspring who inherit the blessings and promises uh, in through whom God is bringing and restoring blessing to his creation. So, uh, for instance, uh, we, we have the, the offspring of the woman, uh, and it's through uh, Adam, uh, Seth, Noah, Shem, Terah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons, uh, but then uh, Judah. With Judah, uh, the, the sons, the, the tribes of Israel are blessed, but with Judah is the kingship. And we, we'll see that in a little bit. Uh, uh, and so now the, the, this line uh, brings, brings hope. Uh, and, and through this, we'll, we'll also see that God builds his blessings and promises and, and covenants. Uh, and then uh, it's, not, it's not all of the offspring. Uh, again, through Adam, Seth, not Cain, Noah, Shem, not Ham or Japheth, Terah, Abraham, not Nahor or Haran, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau, and Jacob's 12 sons, of whom Judah receives the promise of kingship. Uh, and then second thing to see is not just that it's, it's through the woman's chosen offspring, as we see in the outline, uh, but that through this chosen offspring, uh, God overcomes evil and restores blessing to his creation uh, through, through her offspring. Uh, and so... For instance, uh, in the, the beginning of the book of Genesis, uh, we see that God preserves her chosen offspring uh, through the fall, through the corruption, through increasing violence, uh, through the, the flood when God cataclysmically wipes out all of humanity except eight souls. Uh, he preserves Noah and, and the woman's offspring uh, through uh, the, the flood. Uh, and then through the scattering uh, of humanity, he chooses uh, Shem. Uh, and then uh, later, uh, we'll see that he uh, preserves uh, Abraham uh, and uh, also his, his chosen uh, descendants, uh, Isaac and uh, Jacob and Jacob's sons. 
uh, and he, he preserves the, the patriarchs from, uh, from the, the evil of the, the world. Uh, so for example, uh, Abraham in Genesis 14, uh, he uh, protects him from invading kings that come into the promised land uh, and come attacking, uh, and he protects uh, Abraham. Uh, he protects Joseph from uh, his, his master when he, he became a slave from Potiphar's wife who tried to commit uh, adultery uh, with uh, Joseph. Uh, and then Joseph was framed and thrown into jail, uh, but God uh, protected uh, Joseph. And through, through Joseph, as we'll see, he protected uh, all of uh, Jacob's sons, uh, the, the chosen offspring. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, J Jacob and, and his sons uh, through the uh, seven-year famine, uh, which would have uh, wiped them out in their family. Uh, but uh, through Joseph and his intervention with Pharaoh, uh, he came up with a, a plan uh, to, to give them a safe haven uh, to come to Egypt, to sojourn there, where God uh, preserved them and thereby preserved the chosen offspring through whom are his promises and blessing ultimately, not just to the nation, but all of creation. Uh, and then we also see that he protects them uh, from, their, uh, from their own uh, uh, evil uh, and, and sin. Uh, so for example, when Abraham travels to Egypt, as we were reading earlier, uh, what does he do? He says, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Uh, and uh, so Pharaoh took her for his wife and God had to intervene because his promises, his blessing, his purposes for all of history were about to be upset. Uh, and then uh, Abraham uh, and Isaac later do the same thing again uh, in the land of Gerar uh, with uh, Abimelech, who is the ruler there. Uh, they again lie uh, to protect their own skin, not their wives, uh, and God has to intervene. And then we see uh, Jacob, the, the deceiver, uh, and by his deception, uh, he gets in trouble uh, where uh, Esau plots to kill him. Uh, and then eventually uh, Laban, his uncle, uh, whom he worked for, uh, uh, set out uh, to do him harm uh, and take his daughters back, uh, Jacob's wives, away from him. Uh, and God has to protect uh, the, the chosen promise and, and offspring. Uh, and then uh, Joseph with his, uh, his evil brothers, uh, what do they do? Uh, they plot to murder and kill Joseph because they're jealous of him and they throw him in a pit. But then instead they, they decide to sell their brother into slavery uh, where he's brought down to, uh, to Egypt. Uh, but what does God do? Uh, ultimately, even though Joseph is gone for a long time, uh, even though he's lied about and thrown in prison for years, uh, Ultimately, God uses it uh, for good. And uh, he later says, uh, as for you, uh, Joseph, you, my brothers, meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this intended result to preserve many people alive. To preserve whom? Well, his family members, uh, their, their offspring, uh, but also uh, even the Egyptians and the surrounding nations, already you have a foretaste of God's blessing through them uh, to the nations uh, and ultimately through Messiah uh, to the entire world.
finally, we're nearing our, our last uh, section. Uh, you can turn to Genesis 49 if you're not there already. There are a few more structural devices other than the, the Toledotes, the, uh, the generations. Uh, and saying Toledotes is kind of funny because in, in Hebrew, Toledot is already plural, so you don't, you don't have to put an S on it, but I guess I do. Uh, uh, but there, there are three poems that are so important to the message of Genesis uh, and the entire Pentateuch, the books of Moses. Uh, and it, it begins at Genesis 49, verse 1. If you have a pen, you might want to write these down. Otherwise, I can get them to you later, or you can listen to the recording. But Genesis 49, verse 1. Uh, Numbers 24, verse 14. And Deuteronomy 31, verse 29. Yeah, I'll repeat it once. Uh, otherwise, uh, you, I can give it to you afterwards. Genesis 49, verse 1. Numbers 24, verse 14. And Deuteronomy 31, verse 29. And then, this isn't the introduction to poems. Uh, and typically, before them or after them, there are other poems that are closely uh, related Yep. Oh, sure. All right. And so this is what uh, a scholar named Jail, John Salehammer uh, wrote about this. And he's done a lot, of, a lot of good work on just the, the whole, uh, the Pentateuch and how it fits together uh, in the, uh, the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketavim. Uh, that's the, uh, the law, the prophets, and the writings, our, our Old Testament. He says, the focal point of each of these major poems is the promise of a coming messianic king. The three poems in Genesis 49 verse 1, Numbers 24 verse 14, and Deuteronomy 31 verse 29 have an almost identical introduction. In each introduction, the central narrative figure, uh, Jacob in Genesis, Balaam in Numbers, and Moses, in Deuteronomy, calls an audience together using imperatives, so those are commands, and advises them using cohortatives, those are exhortations, uh, of what will happen in the last days. The phrase, in the last days, is found only one other place in the Pentateuch, Deuteronomy 4, verse 40. And so, at the beginning of Genesis 49, we see, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I, I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Uh, and literally in Hebrew, it's in the latter days. Uh, and this phrase, interestingly, shows up first in the first book. In Genesis, it, it's already focused on the latter days, the, the eschaton, the end of the age, the coming of the Messiah and God's kingdom and uh, the, the bringing in of everlasting blessing and righteousness where God will again dwell with man. 
uh, and you, you find it elsewhere uh, in the prophets and throughout the Old Testament in the New Testament. And it's so important. It refers to the end. And so at the beginning, Genesis, we're already looking at the end. Uh, and just an example, uh, throughout this section, uh, in the poems like it, it talks about the blessing uh, that is going to come uh, and predictions about what's going to happen uh, to the different tribes uh, of Israel. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, they're going to end up with a blessing and all the nations are going to be blessed uh, through them. Uh, in some of the other poems, uh, they, they'll, they'll also talk about uh, cursing against them that's going to come upon them because of their rebellion against God but ultimately it turns to God's blessing because he's going to uh, save them and so in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 49 uh, verse 8 he addresses Jacob addresses Judah about the latter days uh, and about his tribe uh, and here we'll, we'll find the, the blessings of the kingdom. He says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. And so it shows how, how exalted he is. Even his, uh, the, the sons, his own father's sons, his brothers are bowing down before him. Uh, now see how fierce uh, Judah is, uh, or the, the, the coming, the, the, the tribe at the, the end times. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture uh, in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Showing how prosperous he is. But th this section, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him uh, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Uh, listen to what uh, Dennis, uh, R. Dennis Cole uh, says about this passage in his commentary on Numbers. He says, The royal scepter or staff represented the position of a ruler, uh, a symbol of authority and power. Uh, in the blessing of Jacob upon his son Judah, the patriarch stated that the scepter would not depart from Judah, meaning that Judah's royal lineage would be everlasting. Uh, and so already we see through the chosen offspring of the woman, uh, through the covenants uh, made with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob and God's promises, that uh, ultimately God is already promising uh, a royal lineage in Judah that would be everlasting. Uh, and later, as you keep reading your Bibles, uh, it will then focus on uh, David. Uh, and with David, God forms a covenant with him of an everlasting dynasty with David. Uh, and in places like uh, Psalm 89, we'll find that uh, although uh, 
in, uh, in Samuel, uh, a lot of it refers to, um, to his son Solomon, uh, but, but not all uh, of it. And ultimately, uh, they're waiting for uh, a coming Messiah, a coming uh, anointed king who would bring in this everlasting uh, kingdom and, and everlasting uh, righteousness and blessing uh, to, uh, to all the world. Uh, and th this is really the message of the first book of the Bible. Uh, and we'll find this is the message of the, the book of Revelation uh, that Eric is going to be coming through. Uh, and so just the, the unity of all of Scripture uh, written over, uh, over uh, almost 1,500 years by uh, so many different men in uh, different places and different historical contexts. But it really has one message woven uh, all the way throughout. Uh, and the, the other poems, uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll look at them at a later time, uh, but uh, they, they very much have to do with these things as well. Uh, and so then, uh, now in our day, uh, we, we know uh, that uh, the king uh, has come. Uh, in his first coming, uh, he came as a, a suffering Messiah, a suffering servant, uh, and uh, the king came uh, to, uh, to suffer, uh, die, to be executed on a cross uh, and rejected by his own uh, people, uh, as we can read, uh, predicted even Isaiah 53. Uh, and he did this uh, because uh, God's creation is uh, sin-filled and it is cursed. Uh, and God has said that uh, no liar uh, will enter into his kingdom. Uh, and so the king came to live the, the perfect uh, righteous life uh, that we couldn't live. Uh, he came to die the death that we can't afford to die uh, so that uh, for those who repent uh, and trust in the, the king, uh, the son of God, that uh, they then can enter his kingdom clothed in his righteousness uh, and dwell with him uh, and reign with him uh, forever when he comes to bring uh, judgment to the earth, judgment to his enemies, uh, but then a blessing uh, to everyone else and everyone uh, who turns to him uh, for mercy. Uh, and so if we want to be part of that, that kingdom, the, 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 the whole, whole message of all of scripture, uh, then uh, we must trust uh, in him uh, and him alone uh, and then, uh, then we will uh, enter into his kingdom uh, and we uh, will uh, reign with him uh, as uh, fellow heirs of Christ and as uh, adopted sons and daughters of, of God. Uh, and, uh, it's just exciting that that's, that's the whole message of the, the Bible from, uh, from the very beginning. Uh, and so then, uh, just to, to close, uh, uh, let's just uh, bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for just how, how awesome your word is and uh, to know that even from, from the beginning of creation that uh, you really had one purpose and uh, one plan and 
uh, making the world and uh, to restore blessing to your fallen, sin-filled creation and uh, to do away with the curse and uh, to eradicate the, the deceiver and sin from your uh, originally very good creation. And I just pray as we study this book and your word that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and that uh, we would know you more and know your son uh, for uh, if we do this uh, just as an intellectual exercise then uh, it's it's worthless and a vain thing and uh, we could be doing uh, absolutely anything else but uh, salvation is uh, really uh, about uh, knowing you and being reconciled to you and so uh, I pray that you'd uh, bless our time together and uh, you'd uh, build us up uh, in your word and uh, build up our brothers and sisters in, in Christ and uh, Gospel of Grace Fellowship and uh, all of across the world and uh, I pray that your word would have its uh, powerful effect and uh, that uh, you would receive all the glory and Lord Jesus I also pray that you would come soon and uh, that you would uh, bring this kingdom and that uh, we would be with you and uh, reign with you and uh, that you'd eradicate all all sin and sin even from our own hearts and that uh, we desire to uh, be only honoring and uh, pleasing to you. Uh, we thank you uh, for these things. Amen.